Hello and welcome to the Lebanese Politics Podcast. My name is Nizar Hassan, joined as usual by the great Benjamin Red. How are you, Ben? I am doing great. Obviously, like this has been a crazy week yet again uh, in Lebanese politics. We weren't even supposed to have an episode this week. One of our team is is like flying out of the country over the weekend, so we're recording this a little bit early. But we 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 had to have an episode despite this, and and despite the fact that you're you're a little bit sick today, right? Oh yeah. So 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 if anybody uh, hears any sneezing or coughs or anything, then say a silent prayer for Nizar for him to get better. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. <laughs> but uh, the, the reason that we have to like power through all of this and Nizar is being very nice and powering through this uh, for us is because we, we had sort of an earth shattering moment this week. And that is Hariri resigned. Woo! Step number one in, in the revolution, yeah. right? Uh, have the government resign. And, and if the prime minister resigns, that means the entire cabinet is considered resigned. Bam, they're caretaker ministers now. Hariri is the caretaker prime minister, which means... He still has a lot of the same power, but they have to form a new government now. Yeah. Shout out to all those uh, who believe in the power of, you know, direct action, because a lot of people were so skeptic about this. And like, you know, they were doubting that we can we can actually make the government resign. This was really something that was like a victory. That was a very important victory to achieve in terms of political psychology for people to actually believe that, you know, taking to the streets can actually achieve something in Lebanon that it's not only about like political calculations among the ruling powers, etc. So I was very excited to know that this happened, really. But now, as, as we're going to talk about a little bit later on, you know, we've, we've seen sort of like the tearing down of this one part of uh, the regime in place. But now comes a much more difficult phase where it's like, oh, well, we have to replace that with something else. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and that's you know, building stuff is a lot harder, no matter who you are, whether you're talking, you know, from a, uh, the protesters perspective or from like some uh, traditional uh, political parties perspective, building stuff is hard to do. True. Uh, and, and so but now we are sort of like in, in that phase, at least as far as the government and the cabinet is concerned. And, and because the government has fallen, that means that I have reset my counter. Uh, and so as of today, and, and this we're, we're putting this out a little bit early, uh, it should be out on Saturday. So as of Saturday, Lebanon has been without a government for four days. And of course, because I have broken out my spreadsheet again, I, I just want to make a point about the amount of time that this last cabinet has stayed in office and stayed in power. It, it lasted from the, the day it was appointed on January 31st until this past Tuesday when Hurry resigned. That's, if you count it all up, 271 days. 271 days from formation to resignation. Now, it took Hariri 252 days just to form the government. So it was basically within, you know, it, it took basically as much time to form the government as the government was in power. Now, if you look a little bit closer at that, though, then... Uh, well, we had 15 more days after the government was formed where it wasn't fully empowered because once the government's formed, you have to go to parliament and win the confidence vote in parliament. Mm -hmm. So that was another 15 days. Uh, oh, right. R remember that thing, that Kabr Shamoon incident that happened yeah. uh, uh, this summer? Well, that's another 39 days that the government wasn't really operational. And so if you take this totality of things, it took literally more time to form this government than the government really had in power, in full power, that, in it says operational a lot about, power. It says a lot about Lebanese politics, doesn't it? It is insane. Yeah. So I, I, I don't think that uh, 
we're going to run through sort of like beat by beat everything that happened this week. The things sort of like calmed down a, a little bit this week in certain respects. The protests were a little bit smaller. We started to see openings of roads and stuff like that. One thing that did happen that was uh, very, very important, I think, is right before Hurry announced his resignation on Tuesday, we saw this group of over 100 men come out and and just start this melee and this left this trail of destruction uh they started at the ring bridge uh which is just south of downtown and they moved into downtown moved into martyr square uh destroying uh tents burning things hitting people beating people up stealing things right right and and then they went to uh Riedasol square which is right nearby it's facing the uh, grand sarai the governmental uh, uh the seat of government uh, and and it was there finally that uh, police uh, started to repel them uh, using uh, rubber bullets and tear gas and stuff like that. And so they they finally retreated and went away. Uh, but but this left a huge trail of destruction. The the protesters, you know, they, they, there's tents all over the place, uh, and they, they just destroyed all of this stuff. Yeah, I mean, we had, for example, our group Lihaqi and a few other groups, progressive groups, who had like a whole space with lots of tents and. You know, the banners, the equipments, the sound equipment, thing, basic things that were running uh, down there. And they were just destroyed. They burnt the equipment, some of them. They stole some things. They stole one of the comrades' phone and, like, destroyed the tents, etc. And they did the same to every to every camp that they, like, in, in Marty Square and in, uh, and in Riyadh Salah and everything that they saw. And in Riyadh Salah, actually, there were a bunch of people, a bunch of protesters that were beaten up really bad with like sticks and stones, etc. This is where most of the actual human conflict happened on the Ring Bridge and then in Riyadh Salah. Because Martyr Square and, and, and the Azari area was kind of empty. There were the camps, there were few people, maybe, you know, overall 20, 30 people. But like the human stuff, the, the conflict happened, yeah on the bridge where they attacked also journalist uh, Timur Azhari who was on the show got his share Hassan Shaban the photojournalist of the Daily Star and many other people that we we know were beaten up on on uh, on ring yeah it was extremely violent and clearly organized they were not like you know spontaneous in their activities they started on the bridge they started chanting certain things they 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 were quite organized about like they had a plan to go down and destroy everything it's not like they were trying to open the roads as they claimed because if they're opening the roads why the hell did they go to 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 you know to the squares and destroy the camps which and the tents which were not in the in the street anyway and adding to this, um, there is eyewitness testimony of some of these people using, uh, you know, wireless communications devices to talk to each other. Uh, one colleague of mine said that before things started, he saw a guy, I forget if he said with a walkie-talkie or cell phone or something, uh, asking him, you know, like, hey guys, are you ready? And right after that is when things really kicked off. We also heard about uh, some people, you know, giving commands of like, you know, okay, advance retreat that sort of a thing so this definitely seemed like a planned centrally controlled operation that, and, that happened and i think we haven't mentioned yet that these people were hezbollah amal and amal movement supporters right for, from their what, chance yeah. right uh you know saying things very praiseworthy of nabi berri uh, for instance yeah uh, and they, they the amal, i mean they, uh, yeah. they were clearly uh, kind of a combination of people from the two uh, supporters bases right right and, and so w when when i was watching this uh you know I, I was at the offices of the daily star and we, we were you know all glued to the the tv sets those of us who were in the office obviously the people like Timur and uh, hassan were out but when when i was watching this i you know 
how does Hurry not possibly resign at, at this moment? Because we knew he was about to speak later that afternoon. And, and this just outburst of insane violence, you, you think, well, well that, that seems like that's, that's got to be it. How, how does he do anything else? And sure enough, he came out and he resigned. Yeah, Harir had said that if there's one drop of blood, I will resign. No one died, but still there was, you know, blood. There was, <laughs> there was very serious damage to a lot of people. And it was a and very scary There's pandemonium in downtown. You can't have that. Yeah. And it brought people back to, you know, the memories of, of May 7, the May 7 incidents or the small mini civil war in May, on May 7, 2008, where Hezbollah kind of showed what it means to confront it politically by basically, you know, taking over Beirut militarily. And it was like this moment that a lot of people have, that, uh, this very traumatic moment to a lot of people because it's like, it's the mo- the first moment where after the civil war, where Hezbollah uh, directly engages in military activities within the country against like its political opponents. So it's basically, it brought back a lot of these, uh, a lot of these memories. And a lot of people think, thought that the purpose was to, to prevent Hariri from resigning because Hezbollah was clearly against Hariri resigning and the government going away. So the purpose was like, a lot of people thought, yeah, this is how they're preventing him from resigning because it will seem that he resigned because of this pressure, which is bad for his image. But things really didn't turn out that way and Hariri resigned anyway. And I mean, Hezbollah took the political blow. After all of this happened and Hariri resigned, then we we saw something interesting happen, which was, it seemed all of a sudden, there was some more pride, I guess, uh, coming from people with future movement banners and stuff like that. There's people riding motorbikes, uh, some video flags, uh, you know, supporting Saad Hariri after his resignation. There were reports that, you know, in certain uh, Sunni-dominated, uh, Mustafa-dominated areas uh, that, that people were coming out, coming down to the street, sort of joining the protests, sort of, uh, so to speak, or creating their own protests. The Future Movement put out statements saying, like, please don't do this. Uh, we want all the roads open. We want things to return to normal. But for a moment, it seemed as though, like, we, we talked about the protesters having to deal with the Lebanese forces sort of joining them and the potential politicization that that brings. It seemed for a moment that, like, oh, well, the, protest may, the protesters may also have to deal with a much larger issue of, of uh, the, the future movement sort of joining in. But it doesn't seem like that happened, at least not on, on any major scale so far. Yeah. Um, and, and the other thing that happened after this is just that, like things started to open up, right? So after her resigned, there were a lot of, there were a lot of discussions amongst protesters. Well, do we keep bro- blocking roads? Now, no, the roadblocks had started to sort of ease anyway, right? Yeah. But protesters started to say, well, do we want to continue blocking roads or do we want to pull back a little bit? Because a lot of, I mean, a lot of pressure was starting to be applied that, you know, the, we, we heard about, you know, potential shortages of, of various uh, goods. Uh, gas shortages uh, were happening in certain areas across the country already. And ultimately, a lot of the protesters, not all of them, but a lot of them decided, well, we need to pull back and open up the roads a bit. And and so we saw after her resigned, roads start to open quite a bit more. Now, they would get reblocked every now and then, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, but by and large, things started to open up bit by bit. Definitely. Yeah. We, we, we saw uh, bank employees go back to work on Thursday for sort of like back office operations, and then banks opened on Friday. We saw schools start to open up Thursday and Friday. And, and all of this isn't quite back to normal yet, but things have started 
to get on a path toward, towards normalcy. Yeah, I mean, and if, you, if you just look at the roadblock, you see that, for example, the day after the first protest, um, October 18, was a complete shutdown of the country. Like, even roads inside cities were shut down for the most part. No one went anywhere. It was all burning and stuff. The next Monday, it was like still the kind of general strike environment. But within cities, you see the shops open. You see people, you know, going and coming to a certain extent. Especially when, you know, supporters of political parties started withdrawing from the streets. Because in the beginning, everyone was like doing whatever they want. And then it becomes, it started to filter out a lot of people because of, you know, different positions of parties, etc. By the end of last week and like the beginning of this week, we saw a much more normal state of, of, you know, apart from the major highways that were blocked, it wasn't really a general shutdown of the country. It was still impactful. It was still disruptive. And it was politically very disruptive because it's uh, it's very significant where the things were happening. You know, like Tripoli and Saida were even more, you know, and, and, and Iqlim, etc. were even more um, excited after Hariri with, uh, uh, resigned than before because they saw, uh, for many reasons, but partly because they saw the Hariri's resignation as just the first part of the struggle. And they did not accept the idea that, oh, this whole thing is just now restricted to basically Hariri resigning while Berri announced it on their thrones without anyone contesting that. So that's where the future movement mobilization came to, you know, to matter politically. It seemed like, oh, this is the, the opportunity for the future to say, I'm the, 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 the political side that you can rely on for your interests as Sunnis because, you know, this whole uprising thing doesn't care about you. It just wanted to get rid of Hariri. You know, this dirty political, sectarian political yeah, game. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of one of those other kings sitting on the throne, Aoun, uh, gave a speech on Thursday night. It, Thursday was his third uh, year anniversary in office. So presidents in Lebanon are elected for a six-year term. So literally Thursday, Halloween 2019, it's his mid-year uh, point in his term. And he, he had given one more, uh, one other speech earlier during the protests uh, that was very poorly received. It was about five minutes long, and it was obviously cut together from different times that he had been recording it and everything. He was sitting down behind a desk. He appeared tired. And what was probably the second most important point of the, of the speech that he gave on Thursday, though, honestly, was that he, he did it standing for the whole 15 minutes. And I mean, he, he was behind a lectern, right? So he's holding on to that. But uh, it, it seemed like sort of like a, a pointed reminder that like, no, 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 I... I, I am not old and feeble and weak. I, I can stand. Yeah. Which, you know, it is important because a lot of people had a lot of questions after that first speech. But the most important thing that he uh, said in all this, and, and, he, and he said a lot of things, right? Like he, he talked about like accomplishments that he had done in his first three years, things that needed to get done still, you know, fighting corruption and stuff like that. But the, the most important thing that he said was, was talking about the new government, right? And, and he said that he wanted a government uh, uh, that, was, that was based on merit, you know, pe- people who deserve to be there in the cabinet, not people who got there because of connections or some sort of political yeah. reason. And he also... It's talked about like we're going to talk about this new government thing in a bit what I also found interesting is that he focused a lot on things that are that you don't expect from him like he focused a lot on like secularization of the state you know he mentioned it many times he's like he didn't use the word secular or almani or almani but he used the word uh, right, civil state as opposed to sectarianism and he was like bashing sectarianism and saying how this is a disease that we should get rid of 
and it's funny coming from really like the founder of FVM just because like the FVM is is so explicit in its sectarian politics this is way, maybe what it introduced in this era of 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 Lebanese politics that it was so clearly sectarian based it was so clearly a christian project about restoring christians power in the state and and the rhetoric is always focused on christians etc as opposed to and i think we talked about this in one of the episodes maybe the fpm profile that oh, as opposed to the fpm back in you know the early 2000s until maybe 2006 or 7 when it was really the party of the civil society like it was really the party of these you know activists who were were progressive on many causes and were talking about secularism like i remember when i was i was a kid back then right and i remember i remember a debate between Alain Aoun and another guy on TV about secularism. And Aoun was like so enthusiastic about it. And he's like, Almani, you know, secularism is not atheism. And we should be very excited about secularism and everything. And then suddenly FPM, like with... Uh, well, when they know, got into, into power. Right? When they got into power, they became like so attached to sectarianism. So seeing Aoun take this position is interesting. Although it's not like the clearest outcome of the uprising. It's not like people were talking about it all the time. But it was clearly an anti-sectarian uprising in general so he he took that and he talked about a personal status law that is you know unified applied to everyone which is quite important and several other laws yeah yeah but i mean do you think that that is anything real because i mean there, there's sort of this history of maronite figures talking about certain things like this sort of because they know like and, and going really to the extreme because they know that the muslim leaders and the muslim uh, community will not accept it yeah, but like already convincing like and lobbying with FPM and Christian MPs and even voters from now on, you have a good reference, you know, which is that, oh, your idol, your leader talked about this and this and that. Are you going to oppose it now? It's, it's, it's in general how the, the political discourse, mainstream political discourse evolves. I think this is already one of the major achievements of the surprising that it's the political discourse is evolving towards things that are critical of of some economic policies, critical of sectarianism, very critical of corruption, corrupt practices, etc. In general, I think this is like progress. And then also following on speech last night, this afternoon, we're we're recording this on Friday, uh, late night, Friday afternoon, uh, Hassan Nasrallah gave a speech as well, um, in which he said a, a number of things. But again, he also talked about the government formation, right? Yeah. It was a toned down speech. It was not as it was not as proud as the previous ones. I don't know. He looked a bit like he's not in his best uh, mood. He was a bit clumsy with the vocab. He was he was not. He wasn't at the top of his game. No, right? no, yeah. no. And even like in his attitude, he was like he was. He he seemed to be in this corner, you know, because of the of the, of the political defeat that he he got with Hariri resigning, obviously against Hezbollah's will is important to think about because you know th- this was th- the thing that was preventing Hariri from resigning was that you know his political continuity and we said this last time his political continuity and existence kind of relies on Hezbollah and Aoun's approval and when he did it he did it against their will so Hezbollah seemed to be very strong saying like oh we are against this government resigning and we will protect this uh, Ahad with, uh, with Aoun and everything and then with the government resigning, they were like, oh, so Hezbollah doesn't really rule the country. So it's this, Nasrallah was in this situation that was quite weak uh, politically. And he didn't go on the offensive at all. Like he, he analyzed some things. He made some positions that were very, very expected. 
he didn't make anything, any political statements that will put him in a corner in the future the way that he did in the past. So, you know, he didn't like say anything about the new government or whatever. He was just like, you know, nice and open and whatever, like more or less, in my opinion. I mean, other than uh, the part where he seemed to get, you know, somewhat offended by the the language, my dear, the <laughs> language that they use in these True. protests. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. Yeah, <laughs> he was like, people who are insulting uh, the the politicians and their families are obviously sent with an agenda. What, and I'm sure that all of these honorable protesters were not participating in that. He should have gone to one protest and he will see everyone, including his like staunchest supporters, were, you know, yeah. when, were, like, very excited about chanting uh, Hela Hela Ho, yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, not yeah. some, like, group with an agenda. It was just, like, people were so happy to insult the shit out of politicians <laughs> because they deserve it. This was, like, uh, the release of the collective unconscious, just, like, <laughs> all, all like channeled into this phrase and you know putting down Gibran the seal uh, in in a very in a very rough and direct manner yeah <laughs> okay so the the big question i think out of all of this stuff that happened this week so far right is okay so who resigned is it over things seem to be dying down some people are happy others aren't but uh things are a lot more chill than they were so is this done what's next yeah, this was the question in the, from the beginning of the week because we saw that the participation was a bit low over the weekend, much lower than the weekend before. You know, the, the previous Sunday had been like the biggest thing ever and then the following Sunday was much more modest. Although in the outside of Beirut, it was not like smaller in, in general, in my opinion, especially in major cities. Yeah, Tripoli is still going. Oh, yeah. Pretty big, yeah. It's being called now the bride of the revolution, Tripoli, because like it's really the, the, the most consistent city in terms of the number of people in the streets and, and the excitement. It's just beautiful. I haven't been, I really want to go, but anyway, it's, it's really... It's really lit well, over so there. If you, if you like make, uh, if if politicians sort of seem to make like a collective decision to ignore a city for decades, then, you know, people get angry about yeah. things and, and maybe they don't get off the streets so easily. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what do you expect, right? And we saw it in the in the last uh, partial elections in Tripoli, by election in Tripoli, with a very, very low voter turnout and how dissatisfied people yeah. were with the political class. Anyway, uh, this was uh, this was a concern from the beginning of the week, as I was saying, that things are dying down. And then Hariri's, Hariri's resignation kind of changed things on the big kind of national scale. But when you go, when you see it on the ground, um, especially in Beirut, yes, the numbers are becoming much, much smaller. Uh, people in general seem to be less excited. Uh, it's less of a revolution mode now and more of, you know, a, a, a another protest movement kind of mode. But there are many, many things that could be happening. People are tired for sure. I mean, everyone I know is sick with the flu, including myself, like really everyone. Um, people are just like maybe taking a break and, and, and kind of watching what's ha- what happened. The Hariri's resignation just two hours after ha- after the Hezbollah Amal supporters attack in downtown and all of the sectarian politics rising to the surface again was a bit confusing. A lot of things might be might be kind of contributing to this. But it was, what's definitely the case is that people who are organizing are not done yet. And Hariri's resignation or the government's resignation was more of the... M- m- politically, it was not Hariri who resigned or who fell. 
it was basically the alliance of Basil and Hariri and Hezbollah and all of these political forces together in this very inefficient government that needed to fall more or less you know it was it was Hukumat Al-Ahad as they're saying not Hukumat Sa'ad you know yeah the, yeah. the covenant uh, or whatever you call it like the the Basically, the, the, the breakdown of, of, of Hariri's uh, um, alliance with Aoun and all the political forces being on board uh, for this to, to form this very ineffective thing. So uh, definitely, this is not oh, this is not the end. Uh, all the organizers, everyone in the streets is still talking about like the future things, future pro- uh, steps, and the other uh, demands mainly the formation of a new government that is independent from political forces that would oversee two things management of the economic crisis and then uh, an early parliamentary elections and the crackdown on corruption that everyone's waiting for you know people want to see big names in in prison for all the corruption that we hear about etc but this task of of imposing a good government is much more difficult you know than than overthrowing the previous one right how how do you how do you possibly do this especially when you know, you know the the ruling class is very good at sort of reproducing itself a lot of people have made this point there's sort of like two paths now uh, uh as far as what you're what you're aiming for if you're a protester you probably want to see a government that is very effective come in and and especially because you know we have this looming financial crisis that we are living right now so you want a government in place that is sort of competent and able to take care of things and, and really sort of reestablish confidence in the lira and stabilize things and start holding these uh uh, politicians to account, that sort of a thing, which is very, very difficult to do under the current circumstances and with the current people in power. And then on, in, in order to sort of change those people in power, you, you really do need new elections and a new electoral law that favors new blood coming in. Right. Yeah. And so how do you how do you get to that? Well, you probably need a lot bigger street protests to, to get to that. But we we don't seem to be there at this point. Yeah, I mean, and even before we get there, there's so many things that the uprising is facing. First of all, the momentum that is dying means that we can impose fewer things than we were. Than we, could. I mean, it's just less power, less disruption means that you can impose uh, fewer things. So you can't really <laughs> just impose something as easily as you impose the, the, the overthrowing of the government or the resignation of the government. Second thing, apart from the momentum, is uh, how we can navigate very sensitive political questions, such as, you know, who should be the next prime minister. You know, because if we say, okay, we reject Hariri, then a large section of the population will be like, if Aoun and Birri are in power, why are you rejecting Hariri? Are you just anti-Hariri? Or are you like, you know, uh, carrying the agenda of I don't know what? So all of these things... And then the discussion changes fundamentally. This is why I think like a lot of these like progressive movements should not be really involved in the in the name of the prime minister kind of debates. And then after the prime minister debate, uh, like after a prime minister is chosen by the president through consultation with parliamentarians, there is the choice of ministers, which is also very sensitive because you know if you get a bunch of technocrats who are you know politically affiliated is one thing if you get technocrats who are not or or kind of secretly affiliated it's another thing and how can you actually reveal these political affiliations and make them a public issue and then how can you um, not fall in the trap of saying okay these are technocrats therefore they are good 
because that's also not the case. And then like all of these questions, and most importantly, how can you actually have unified demands the same way that you did one week ago when you were all saying, okay, we, we want the resignation of the government. What are your demands now? What are the criteria for the new government? And what, are the, what is the agenda? What are the policies that you want? There's much less homogeneity on that, uh, on that end. So it's, it's really at a very challenging time for the uprising itself compared to, you know, uh, how, how, how relatively simple it was to achieve the first demand. Yeah, and, and I think we can look at all of these questions from the other side as well. Like if you are one of the parties in power, if you're one of the, uh, one of the Zaims, how are you approaching this? Because everybody's looking at the same set of facts on the ground, maybe with slight shades of, of, of difference for perspective, but we're all sort of playing the same game here. And so if uh, if you're Hariri or Aon or Nasrallah or Birri, one of these guys, what what are you doing to, you know, what what is your next step? I, I, I tend to be very cynical on this, and this is, <laughs> it probably gets me in trouble, but for, from my perspective, it seems as though the ruling class sort of at large, you know, as a group, they're, they're, they're collectively sort of trying to find the line that they can hold uh, against the protesters. And so Hariri resigning, yeah, that Nasrallah may not like it or whatever, but it because of the ruling class's sort of bumbling of this entire protest issue uh, and taking hard lines and stuff like that, it, it sort of became inevitable in the end that Hariri would have to resign, right? But maybe now this gives all of them a chance to say, oh, okay, protesters, you have achieved something. The protesters sort of agree, at least some of them do. They, they're tired, they pull off the streets, they say, hey, we've won something or whatever. So now, how do you, how do you sort of reproduce the same system but maybe with different faces or something like that. And, and this is how, where we get into a technocratic government situation, uh, potentially, where maybe there are a whole bunch of people who are eminently qualified. We've never heard of any of them before in their life. But, you know, one third of them will answer to Gibran Basile. You know, uh, an, another contingent will answer to Saad Hariri. Another contingent will answer to Nabi Berri, et cetera, et cetera. Does this technocratic government actually mean anything, or maybe this is just like another another way for uh, the ruling class to sort of keep the same system in place, placate the people a little bit, and deal with the protesters? Yeah, I mean, uh, they have tried to the ruling class has tried has tried to kind of co-op the movement or downplay it in many ways, and we talked about this last week. I don't think we have to repeat it, but like different actors did did this in different ways um but for sure now like after hariri's resignation also they are dealing with it differently like uh, hariri for example i expected hariri to be much more invested in the streets it only happened for one day that the future movement was on fire like mobilizing and blocking roads sometimes and like marching etc yeah it was just the night after Hariri's, the, the, the same day like in the evening after hariri resigned however Today, they're much calmer. So um, on the one hand, I'm quite um, kind of relieved that it didn't escalate into something similar to a March 8, March 14 street fight. Kind it of it looked for a minute like, oh, my God, we're yeah. somehow these zombies, March 8 and, Mar and March 14, they're getting resurrected before our eyes. Yeah, and exactly. and the, the, the poor protesters who just wanted, you know, a better ruling class overall ended up just, you know, turning the clock back 10 years. Yeah. And but but just watching Nasrallah today proves that this is 
at least for now it's not gonna happen uh, Nasrallah was not aggressive at all and he didn't like he didn't cite against Hariri on, in any way he just said that oh we had different point of views about whether the government should resign or not but you know this happened whatever let's go let's get over it Hariri did it for his own reasons I'm not gonna discuss them so he's like basically trying to prevent even discussions among people of whether Hariri is like made the mistake or not whether he should be punished for it etc um, but the question now is whether they will bring about a technocratic government and first of all there seems to be like different kind of positions by politicians about this Jaja is obviously the one that is most um, supportive of this because the LF resigned and supported the demand of a technocratic government from you know third or fourth day of the protests as opposed to other parties that did not do the same. So the LF has been kind of preparing this position. and this The LF has been one. extraordinarily astute yeah. throughout this uh, to, to, to a level that's uh, concerning, I would say, if you're not a member of the LF. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, it's been very smart. And uh, Jaja's rhetoric um, today on Friday was also very strong and very clear. He said... Things- yeah, he, sp- he spoke right after Nasrallah. Yeah, and he said really, cl- really clear things. He basically is taking the position of the protesters, like and all what it entails. Obviously, without going into economic policy, because that would be his his weak area. Right, right. Uh, but he said we need real technocrats, not like technical advisors who are, you know, like ad- technical people who answer to politicians. We what need I was just talking about, can, yeah, exactly. Yeah. We need people who are, have actually the power and the leverage to to make their own choices. Can I can I just make a a quick aside here? Yeah. This is actually one of the things that a lot of people are really angry about just normal cabinets for because the the Zuma stopped being in cabinet like basically after the 90s, right? Yeah. Uh with with the exception of the prime minister. And so Frangia has his guy there, uh Berri has his guys there, Nasrallah has his guys there, Meati has his guys there. Uh, Aoun, etc. But for any of them to actually, if they're having a cabinet meeting, for them to actually make a decision, say, on, on some urgent matter or something new that's come up, they have to go and call up their Zaim. Yeah. Like literally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they leave the cabinet meeting or they go off to the side and they make a phone call yeah. to the Zaim and say, hey, they're saying this. What do you think about it? Yeah. So so the, this point that Jaja's making here about like the technocrats doing that, like it, it would literally be the exact same thing that we have had in, in the cabinets, maybe with like a little bit more technical expertise. Yeah, this was the most important thing I think that Jaja said. Other, other than that, he also said something like, he kind of, um, he implied that explicitly actually that this movement changed the political, uh, the, the question of political legitimacy. Like anyone who thinks that they have political legitimacy from the last election, from their size in parliament and cabinet should rethink that because o- the October 17 revolution has changed that and and the, the, the political legitimacy has been stripped, you know, of, of, of these bodies. So that sounds pointed at a certain... Uh... Yeah. guy named Gibran the Seal. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but it also tells about like how he's using his weak kind of position as a member of the ruling class, as the LLF, because they only have 15 members of parliament, which is a lot, but not a lot compared to Gibran Basile's 29. 27 now, but yeah. 27 now, exactly. But still, like he was, doing the, he was using this position to portray himself as kind of 
uh, someone who has been excluded or the LF has been excluded from the ruling class and it's fighting against it and it's uh, you know it's yeah. standing behind the revolution and everything it's it's hilarious but, but yeah it, it, it's, it's sort of like uh, stealing uh, Sammy Jamal's playbook but yeah. doing it a lot better than him yeah. <laughs> to, 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 be, to be just brutally honest True. Um, anyway the, the idea of a technocratic government is also kind of implied by Aoun uh, in his speech uh, when he used, as you said, like he talked about merit as opposed to political loyalty. Basile has not made any kind of statements about it. It's from media reports. We know that actually Basile is one of the main obstacles. Basile and Hezbollah are, are, are basically the two main obstacles in front of uh, facing uh, the formation of technocratic government because uh, Basile uh, will be out of this government if it's a government of technocrats. And Hezbollah is worried that a government of technocrats will not be as solid in terms of when it comes to foreign and regional policy and defense policy and things related to sanctions on Hezbollah, etc. Yeah, yeah. Reportedly, before Harry resigned, he, he wanted to reshuffle things and he wanted to like create a sort of like technocratic government and everything. And Aoun said, no, not without Basile. And that was the, that was the sticking point. How do you how do you respond to protesters in any real, real way and keep Basile in the cabinet? Well, you can't. Yeah. So now we have many possibilities, right? We have the possibility of having a co- government. A fully political government is, I think, out of the question. I don't think it's we're going to see something similar to what we had in terms of actually just political representatives um, because people would be outraged about it. First possibility is having like a bunch of technocrats and a bunch of politicians together, like a bunch of technocrats handling the big portfolio ministries and a bunch of politicians uh, on in the state ministries just so they can get the political votes on the table. Which they did this right after Taif, right? Yeah, and it's favored by certain political forces, maybe more than others, because like certain some parties like have technocrats as part of their parties, and while others are don't have particularly talented ministers. To be to be honest, then you have like this idea of a techno political cabinet that is being talked about, like hukuma techno siyasiya, which is basically what I think it means is that the technocrats are political like they have political affiliations so for example you know i don't know jamil jabba although it's i don't think that's a good case but uh, example is being talked about this as uh, it's being talked about as an example of this kind of government you know being a doctor and the minister of public health although being a doctor doesn't mean you know anything about public health but in general like it's being talked about as you know an economist in the economy ministry an environmental expert in the environment ministry but have these like people that. like Jamil Jabba answers to Hezbollah or exactly. he was appointed by Hezbollah this is the exact thing that Jaja warned about yeah exactly which is in my opinion also like one of the worst scenarios that can happen because it will kind of give us like what it looks like a technocratic government and in fact we have uh, the same political dynamics that we had before and the third uh, possibility, which is, which does not seem very likely today, especially after Nasrallah and uh, and uh, Aoun speaking, uh, is to have a, a cabinet that represents the sizes in parliament, which is basically to have a March 8th cabinet of, you know, FPM, Amal, and Hezbollah. Right. Which I mean, if you if you just look at the numbers, uh, uh, the cabinet basically needs to have the sign off of the prime minister designate. It needs the president. And it needs it needs half of the parliament, and they've got the numbers in parliament. If you count up the even recently downsized FPM block, add in you know SNP, Marada, Hezbollah, the Sunni Six, and an Amal movement, they've got 67 seats in parliament. And then you probably got Eddie Demerjian, uh, maybe a couple of other independents that could come in. 
Uh, so you have to strip away quite a few people from that in, in order to to get below the the halfway point in Parliament. Um, so they, they, it, it's 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 a possibility if if they are backed into a corner and and they decide or, or you know maybe something terrible happens uh, w- with the economy or with uh, the financial situation and Hezbollah decides hey no we've got to do this now nobody else is stepping up we've got to step up even though it's very very dangerous for us to do a March eighth government we've got to do it Th- they can do it they have the votes in Parliament to do it. They have Michelle Aoun to do it. They could nominate somebody like uh, Abdul Rahim Murad, for instance, or uh, uh, Faisal Karami, you know, mm-hmm. to be to be prime minister, and and it could happen. Now that would cause a lot of other problems, probably, because then we might see follow-on actions, uh, you know, from the United States, from other international actors about that, about you know the 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 actual Hezbollah-led government, but. Uh, yeah, because, it, it is a possibility if they get back to a corner. I'd say. Yeah, but as you're saying, like the, people already talk about the current government or the, now caretaking government being a Hezbollah government or whatever, especially well, in yeah, Western th- media. I mean, that, that's the bullshit that comes out of Washington yeah. these days. You know, it's but, like any government is a Hezbollah government. And it's like, no, there are fucking degrees, man. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> there are degrees. Exactly. There are shades. And how, how how influential Hezbollah is. And even Nasrallah today was talking about this a lot. He's saying, like, they always talk about this being a Hezbollah government in the previous one, etc. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's bullshit. Um, in any way, like, to understand how or to, pre- to be able to predict what kind of cabinet we should, we, we, we actually will have. A lot of things uh, matter here. Whether the momentum will keep going so that we, it w- because it would influence whether uh, the, the cabinet will be, political or not in my opinion this matters a lot if the momentum is strong then there's more likelihood that we have an actual technocratic government more or less then the issue is with Hariri being present and Basile being present if they can fix the situation Hariri in Basile out if this is going to happen then we might see some techno-political cabinet of Hariri and a bunch of technocrats who are related to political parties and if not they might find a replacement for Hariri yeah, yeah, I, I, I am doubtful of the situation just because of like the way that the Ahad and, and the, uh, the whole this whole ruling uh, superstructure was constructed as a deal, basically fundamentally between uh, Hariri and Basile. If Basile is out, Hariri needs to be out. I, I, I get the sense that this is at least a line that uh, the Aonis will follow to a certain degree. I don't know if they'll go all the way with it, but that makes it quite possible that. Perhaps they'll both be out. And in that case, maybe Hariri doesn't pack up and go to Paris, but maybe he puts somebody, one of his protégés in place, somebody like Rael Hassan has been mentioned quite a bit uh, recently. Uh, I, I, you know, I've, I've thought since he named her interior minister that she was, he was sort of grooming her to be a potential uh, prime minister in yeah. case he needed to step aside. She's competent. She's loyal. She, she, she has a relatively good reputation. Um, and so we could see her at the head of one of these sort of like political techno techno political governments or something like that. And to be honest, that may actually be the best case scenario for protesters, barring some unforeseen event. Yeah. I mean, the best case scenario would be technocrats independent. Second base case would be a bunch of people who know what they're doing and they follow an OK agenda. And in that case, yeah. We won't see someone who is um, really independent being prime minister. It will definitely be someone who is from more or less the political elite. Um, and Raya Hassan is, yeah, as you're saying, is 
as an example or a, a potential candidate that makes sense in that situation. Anyway, I think that's all the time we have. We'll be back next week, hopefully with a new cabinet in place. I, I, hopefully you'll be all better by then yeah. as well. Uh, Thank you. <laughs> and, and, and we'll be a little bit more rested up as well. You know, you got to do some self-care, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I thank the, the great editor, Susan, for all the cuts she's, she will be doing of my coughs and sneezes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, well, with that, we'll leave it right there. I'm Benjamin Red. I'm Nizar Hassan. And this has been the Lebanese Politics Podcast. The Lebanese Politics Podcast is brought to you by myself, Nizar Hassan, Benjamin Red, produced behind the scenes by Susan Wilson, and the music is by Omar Elfil.